epistle of Jude is often known as the book just before Revelation. And people miss out on the, the stuff that's here. It's really powerful. The guy can preach. Uh, obviously, it ran in the family. He's the only Jude we know of that had a brother named James. So even though there's a lot, there's a lot of Judases in the Bible, four or five, I think, uh, we're sure that it was him because he had a brother named James. And James was like the most well-known James. Uh, John had a brother named James who was the first of the 11 to be martyred uh, when he lost his head. And so we'll do a brief review. Carl Caspic did an excellent job last week of showing us how it's done and covering the first eight verses. And so our goal tonight will be to review that and then go through to verse 19. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Uh, there's three things there. Our calling is our function. Our sanctification is our position. And our preservation is our security. But let's just use this as an analogy. It's a bottle of crystal geyser natural spring water that has been filled with, hopefully, crystal geyser, natural spring water. So the water has been sanctified from, or separated from its source. And then it's been preserved in this bottle. It's here for a purpose. And that purpose is to break the seal and drink it. So, separated from its source and put in this bottle... It's preserved by the bottle and the cap and seal. And then its calling is fulfilled when it's drunk and enjoyed by the drinker. The Lord has separated us from the waters of this world and filled us with his spirit and has preserved us, given us security as his children, not just to be saved and useless, but be saved and useful. There's a calling that we have to walk out. You guys see that? We are sanctified, we're preserved, and we have a calling. That's us. That's that's all believers. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This guy loves triplets. I mean, everything he does is in threes. He just thinks in triplets. He's got a triunitarian brain. And the universe is like that. I mean, time is past, present, future, right? Water is liquid, steam and ice. Uh, music is rhythm, melody, and harmony. Taco is <laughs> meat, vegetable, and shell. <laughs> the whole universe. And, of course, God is Father, Word, and Spirit. And we know the Word was made flesh and built among us. And so we understand God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see triplets all through this thing, sanctified, preserved, and called. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. All right, that's just a little trivia about the book. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, he relates to them in common ground. He's not coming at them as some you know, hierarchy guy, which he could pull rank definitely with the brother that he had, the brother of Jesus. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. 
So this whole letter is an appeal to fight for the orthodoxy of the faith, the truth that was originally believed, so that we don't let things slip. Uh, Hebrews talks about this. Yeah. It talks about not letting things slip. And I think a big big part of the purpose for these epistles that we have, these letters from church leaders, is to strengthen us in our faith so we don't so that we don't let things slip and and mixture come into the church. And one area where I think the church let things slip over the centuries was the mandate of the gospel being to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Somehow the calling of preaching the gospel to the Jew because of disappointment or for whatever reason the Jews themselves could have been part of it, uh, they got away from that. And as a result, idolatry crept into the church. Whereas if they realized we've got to still try to reach the Jews, they would think twice before mixing some pagan practice of bringing statues or icons. And Wait, we can't do that, guys. Uh, that's going to offend the Jews. It'll hinder, it'll hinder Jewish evangelism. Well, they don't want to get saved anyway. Who cares? I, I think they just kind of fell away from remembering the original state, original mandate, assignment of the church. Uh, man-made traditions crept in. But in this case, they're dealing with these guys that are creeping into the churches. Certain men have crept in unnoticed. So they come in, uh, as Carl used last week. Uh, someone had a badge, hey, I'm, I'm false teacher extraordinaire. They, they don't show up like that. They crept in unno unnoticed and uh, long ago were marked out for this condemnation. So these guys... Or have never been up to any good, probably. Ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three things there. Lewdness that these guys are into and denying God himself, his authority, and... Jesus himself. So the person of Jesus, the authority of God, and lewdness uh, coming from the grace of God. Now we know that we are saved by grace. Through grace are you saved, uh, Ephesians says, and that through faith are you saved through grace. By grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that. But it's that grace that motivates us to serve God, to allow his lordship to have an impact on how we live, to allow sanctification to begin to happen. Um, the fear of hell and the fear of being condemned hasn't brought a whole lot of cleansing to my life. But an understanding of God's love for me when I don't deserve it has broken my heart and generated in me a desire to please the Lord, a desire to honor him like nothing else has. Um, if you've ever offended a friend and, and you know it and they've forgiven you, man, that strengthens that relationship so much. So God knows what he's doing. But these guys take this concept of God's grace, this beautiful thing, and take it as a license to sin. Now, I know people don't need a license to sin. But they, they use it as a reason to sin. Lewdness, which, which covers all, I mean, to me, lewdness just covers, covers everything from immodesty in how you dress to lustful activities. 
these guys were up to no good. Verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, now here he's going to use three examples to warn people that would follow these guys, people that would stop contending for the faith. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them who did not believe. (laughs) This is serious stuff. God goes through great trouble, parting the Red Sea and all those plagues, get those people out in the wilderness, and then he kills thousands of them because of their unbelief. They're complaining. He couldn't use them to conquer the promised land. It's going to take a certain amount of faith with works to do it. He couldn't do it. So he, at times he would just kill thousands of them after delivering them. So if God operated that way, then why would he shift and give us license to sin and ignore his will for our lives? Think about it. They were all delivered, though, right? They were delivered from slavery. But then if you read the story, it's there in Exodus, man. There's some serious dealings God had with them. Not all of them, but just judgment came, and he cleaned house. He cleaned house. And so many of them wanted to go back. Yeah, they even wanted to go back. They rebelled against Moses and all kinds of other things. Then he gives another example. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So just as he compared the Israelite slaves who were delivered and then were destroyed in the wilderness, here's angels, heavenly, supernatural creatures who were thrown out of heaven and are now reserved in everlasting chains for the judgment of the great day. The point is, they were great, and now they're not so great. So don't use the grace of God as a means to be cocky and ignore God's authority in your life to throw the fear of God away. And then, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So then there's a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. When Abraham and his nephew Lot prospered so much they had to part ways, Abraham gave Lot First choice. And Lot looked towards the the valley where Sodom was, and it was rich. It was prosperous. It was blessed. He went there. And yet from that that in that awesome position, they experienced God's judgment. Backing up to the angels. Yeah. In Second Peter chapter two, verse four, it says for God spared not the angels that had sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved there until judgment. There you go. There's the second witness. Yeah. So, Sodom and Gomorrah, even though they were blessed, gave themselves over to lewdness. The angels rejected authority. The children of Israel in the wilderness rejected God's authority. And at times they embraced lewdness too. Um, and so they gave themselves over to fornication. Now, in our day and time, I just have to say this. The the pro-homosexual agenda is one that seeks to minimize what the Word has to say about homosexuality, uh, 
And they'll say, well, the Bible only talks about it eight times, and the majority of those are under the law, and Christ fulfilled the law. And Jesus never talked about homosexuality, so what's the big deal? Well, it's fornication, guys. It's sex outside the marital relationship of a husband and a wife. So what's the big push for homosexual marriage? To, to distance themselves from fornication. But, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig and call him Sally, but he's still he's still uh, a sow or whatever he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Never mentioned rape or incest or right. pedophilia or any of those. Right. No one would ever say that. <laughs> never dare say that those aren't against right. the Lord. And he told women in fornication, go and sin no more. Right. Yes. You know, what's interesting is that all these examples he has here are all set by boundaries within grace. You know, in God's sovereignty, even grace has its boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul alludes to that in Romans 6 where he says, What shall we sin more that grace may abound? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think here what what he's saying is that these individuals, or all individuals in, in this type of a mindset, seek to... Expand the boundaries of grace. Grace has a specific purpose, but those purposes are within the boundaries of God. Right. And only God knows where that grace is to be used. Right. And man trying to be more than God, you know, yeah, takes these takes these to advantage. Yeah. I think the preoccupation with boundaries is a uh, is a it can be a trap. You know, looking for the loophole. Where's the, that's what kids do. Where's the boundary? Yeah. But grace is, it, to me, is a thing that is centered on the will of God. Yeah. Boundaries aren't an issue. It's the will of God that's the issue. What's his will for us? How are we to live? Well, there's not even to be a hint of sexual immorality in us, the NIV says in the New Testament. We've got to distance ourselves from lewdness. We're almost done with the review. Verse 8. Here comes another triplicate. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. Who are these dreamers? They're the guys in verse 4, the certain men. Why does he call them dreamers? Their concept of God is a dream. It's not reality. Their concept of themselves is a dream. It's not reality. Their concept of grace is a dream. It's not reality. I get to be saved and live like hell. That's that's not reality. The reality, if everybody's going to heaven, living like they want to, and not according to God's will, guess what heaven will be? Earth too. <laughs> Heaven's made up of people that want to please the Lord. Anyway, so, likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So they defile the flesh, there's sexual immorality, they reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. So they don't want God's authority over them, and they'll speak evil of anybody that's a representative of that authority. You see that? And then he gives a strange example of Michael even being uh, careful in what he says around Satan. And if Michael's careful with what he says around Satan, surely we ought to be careful with what we say around each other. Right? Because Satan's not worthy of our honor, right? 
Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now there's a similar occasion where the angel of the Lord is dealing with Satan in Zechariah. And the angel of the Lord who's speaking as the Lord himself says, The Lord rebuke you. So if angels operate this way, they're so respectful of authority, because Satan at one time had authority and lost it, but still respectful of him, staying under God's authority, the Lord rebuke you, how much more respectful should we be of God's representatives in the earth? be it the sheriff or the mayor or or whoever. You see that? So these guys are getting out there in in strange territory. Um, let me just say this in dealing with the devil. Uh, over the years, we've seen some new believers, I think I can think of three different times, where they become very, very devil conscious and challenge the devil. Give me your best shot! Man, it's not a week before they wonder if they're saved. He is kicking their butt. We have victory over him through the Lord's authority. So we stay under God's authority. We're not afraid of the devil, but we stay under God's authority, and we don't go looking for him. But when he gets in our way, we rebuke him. But it's the Lord's lordship that actually is what rebukes him. We just remind him of that. That makes sense? So these guys... These guys are in bad shape, and he's letting them have it. But these, speaking of these dreamers again, or these certain men that creep in unawares in verse 4, these speak of evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. Woe to them. So he's warning his readers, about people like this, and he's warning these people, woe to you guys. And then he gives three more examples. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, Korah was a Levite who thought he could lead just as well as Moses. Who does Moses think he is? And uh, the Lord showed who Moses was by causing the ground to open up and swallow Korah and his household. Sent them on their, to their eternal reward, whatever that was or is. Um, Cain. Cain offered an offering to the Lord, and his brother Abel did. And Abel got blessed. Cain didn't. Cain got jealous. And because he wanted things his way, he removed the competition, killed his brother. And the Lord warned him, said, why are you so downcast? What's, what's with the attitude, son? If you did well, you would know you did well. But if you didn't do well, sin is crouching at the door of your heart and desires to have you, and you should rule over it. Now we know he... Abel offered a blood sacrifice, which, which is what God chose to atone for sin, and Cain offered a vegetarian sacrifice. 
no pun intended. Sorry about that. It just came out. And I know under the law, excuse me, <laughs> under the law there were cereal offerings or grain offerings that were acceptable to the Lord, maybe not to atone sins, but they certainly were instruments of righteousness to be used in worship. But in Cain's case, I really believe, based on the revelation he had, his offering was not accepted because of his heart. And it wasn't right before God. And so, this competitiveness, this proneness to jealousy or whatever showed up, and it resulted in the murder of his brother's heart. So, how does that relate to these dreamers, these men creeping in and unawares, trying to downgrade the authority of others and and trying to bring lewdness in where God's grace has brought such freedom. These guys are wanting to have it their way. They want their cereal to be accepted and their hearts to be left alone. They're like Cain. They're very, now, very yes. And then they run greedily into the error of Balaam for profit. Now, Numbers 22, let's go ahead and go there. Numbers 22. It's the fourth book of the Bible. So go way to the left, all the way to the left, and then back up four books. The children of Israel have left Egypt, and they're journeying to the promised land. And they're greeted with friendliness in some places. Other places, they feel like they're a threat to them, and sometimes they even come out and fight them. And here, uh, they approach the plains of Moab, on the side of the Jordan, Numbers 22. And so Balak, the king of the people of Moab, his people were sick with dread because they were afraid of the Israelites. So he hires this prophet, this guy that had a gift from God named Balaam, to come and prophesy evil about Israel because everything this guy said came to pass. Balaam said, yeah, I'll come and do it. So on his way, there's this encounter with the angel of the Lord, and the donkey sees it and refuses, his donkey refuses to move, and so he gets off the donkey, starts to beat the donkey, and the donkey spoke to him, said, why are you doing this to me? I've been good to you. What's, what's the deal? And then his eyes are open, and he realized that the donkey was saving his life. And then the Lord let him go forward and prophesy. And every time he tried to prophesy ill of the Israelites, Balak, the king of the area here called Moab, was furious with him because all he could say was good things about him. I didn't pay you to say good things about him. I want you to curse them so that they'll be destroyed, you know. So they, you know, by mistake thought his words could, could kill people when in reality his words were there to reveal the plan of God. So Balaam failed, right? Balak failed, right? But look at verse look look at the next chapter. Let's just end chapter twenty four ends that little story. Balaam prophesies four times. And verse twenty five says, So Balaam arose, departed, and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. So it looks like it's over, right? So Balaam used his gift for money and tried to do ill with it, and it didn't work. All right, so he goes home. Looks like the end of the story, right? Well, look at the next verse, chapter 25, verse 1. Now, Israel remained in in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. 
Now, if you go to Revelation, there's a clue there. These women going in there had something to do with what Balaam, what Balaam did. Revelation 2.14, the other end of the Bible. So he's talking to the church in a city called Pergamos. And he says, I have a few things against you, because you have, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So what happened in Numbers 25 happened because of Balaam, according to this. So Balaam failed to prophesy ill of Israel, so in secret he told Balak, I can't do ill against them, but you can turn their God against them. How do I do that? Send in the women. So they sent in their lewd women. And in one day, God killed 24,000 of his own people because of fornication. So fornication is a serious thing with the Lord. And so Jude compares these guys, these certain men, these dreamers, to Balaam. Why did Balaam do that? For money. You know, he got paid money to prophesy ill of Israel. He kept the money. He failed to do it. So Balak guilted him in. Well, you got to tell me what I can do here. Well, send in the send in the sisters, send in the handmaidens. You know. <laughs> and so these guys are bringing destruction in the church, like Balaam did to the people of God. Verse twelve. These are talking about these people again. Are spots in your love feast? Now, a love feast was a meal that included communion, but it was a love, it was a meal that the church had regularly, a full-blown meal, a time of wonderful fellowship. And in their midst are these cancers, these tumors, these divisive people seeking to bring in havoc in the church, bring in immorality, which busts up marriages, leaves children very unhappy, and undermine the authority in the church, which causes the church to split and cause people to reject God's authority. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are, and then he goes into these triplets again, they are clouds without water, carried about the wind, by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit. So in the autumn, that's when, when the apples really, you know, October apples, you ever pick them off when the apple's cold? Those of you that lived up north, it's so cold it'll kind of hurt your teeth fresh off the tree. It's awesome. But these guys are late autumn trees that don't have any fruit, and they're clouds that don't have any water. We know about those in Granbury, don't we? And they're blown about by the winds. And then here comes another, another triplicate, twice dead. They're not just dead. They're dead twice. That's a tree in bad shape. Plucked up by the roots. So he is not giving these guys any hope. He's just condemning them. You need them out of your midst. To kind of go into where they, in Revelation, where it said, for those that get the victory, will not have to endure the second death. Wow, Kevin, that's good. Could that be in the same context as that? Could be, could be, twice dead. You know, they're going to die for their sins, and they're going to die for their sins. <laughs> 
the second death. That's good. That's good. Here comes another triplicate talking about these people. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. These are some bad guys in the church. Now he does something strange. He quotes from the Apocrypha. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, this is the guy that walked with God till he was not. This is the guy, the first guy that some theologians say was raptured. He lived a long time, though, and uh, somebody said he walked so far with God he didn't come back. This Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So quoting from First Enoch, or one Enoch, is this prophecy that God's coming to judge and these guys have it coming. Now, why is the Apocrypha quoted in the New Testament? I don't know. I know the Apocrypha is, has been rejected from the canon of Scripture by most denominations, but some of the Orthodox have embraced the Apocrypha. And I know uh, that the book of Enoch may not necessarily be in everybody's Apocrypha Do you think? books. The people in uh, North Africa, the, the Coptics, and some other Orthodox do embrace First Enoch. Here's what I think, and then you guys can share with, share with me what you think. Uh, two possibilities. One is when somebody speaks, they quote, they quote from various sources. It doesn't mean they are approving of everything that source has ever said. Like uh, somebody may quote Shakespeare in their sermon, to be or not to be, that is the question. And then talk about why are we here, the reality of existence, and you know the plan of God for our lives. Well, what are you doing quoting Shakespeare? Don't you know he said this, and don't you know he said that? Well, I, I was just agreeing with this one thing he said. All right. So here's my thoughts. Uh, in forming the canon of Scripture, a lot of books were presented. It, it, was kind of a, it was kind of an experience where the leaders of the church got together, brought the books that they found most helpful, and the ones they thought were totally inspired, they included in the canon of Scripture. The apocryphal books, they're not sure that they're totally inspired. That being the case, I think that Jude quoted a part of Enoch that he believed was inspired. And I believe Jude believed this prophecy. Uh, the apocrypha is an amazing deal. There's some pretty interesting things in there. You read it, Finley Nunn used to really be into the apocrypha. I think there's some things about America in there. I'm not sure. But early church fathers, centuries before us, deemed those books were not fully inspired. There was mixture in them. And true, there are some far out things they say about women and some other stuff. It's like, man, yeah, I'm glad that's not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So in this case, he quoted this prophecy that he believed is going to happen, harsh things that's going to be for ungodly people to experience. And, of course, this does... Um, agree with what the scripture says. The day of judgment is coming. Um, Jesus talks about a place where 
of eternal destruction where worms don't die and the fire's not quenched and you know. Um and then he starts talking about him again. <laughs> He's like a preacher, he won't hush. He's exhorting. He says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. So they're lustful, grumbling complainers. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. So they're after power, whatever they have to do to get it. In Revelation, is a church where a woman was functioning like this, and the Lord pronounces sickness upon her. I forgot which church that was. But um, it's all about getting power and getting advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. So there's some things out there that are understood to be spiritual, and they're not. They're sensual. You see it in the fruit of their lives. Here's a strange thing. The manuscripts for Enoch didn't appear until the second century, and yet Jude wrote this in the first century. So the manuscripts we have for Enoch, are they forgeries that included what Jude wrote? You know, by some John and come lately, we actually don't have the book of Enoch. That's one theory. We actually don't have the book of Enoch, but the book of Enoch we have has this in there because a guy included it to make sure it was... Uh, viewed as biblical. I don't know. But then my other question is, second century, they didn't know the scriptures were going to be canonized yet. They're just struggling to survive and reading stuff that encourages them. And so, you know, I'm not sure. Anyway. And they've got the Old Testament and they have some letters. Yeah. And that's all they got. Yeah. Steve? If they, if they have a synagogue in their town. Yeah. And if they don't have a synagogue, they just got letters. Yeah. Steve? I was hoping you would rescue us. Hoping you could rescue us. All right. Carl? Well, I, I agree with you. I think that Enoch, the book of Enoch, was revered by a lot of the early church leaders, including up to the Council of Nicaea. Several of them were. But I have to say that the early fathers back in those when they sat down at the council and decided which books were going to be canonized and which ones weren't, there was a certain consistency in the scriptures that they kept. And although, for example, Maccabees is, in a way, first, second Maccabees are, are revered by Jews as historical, wonderful, historical, truthful books, but divinely inspired, it fell short. That's why the Jews never did Maccabees and Baruch and yeah. the wisdom of Solomon and and others. There were just, I guess you could say, there was something fishy in certain areas that they were concerned with when they decided to put them in or not to yeah. put them in. The Catholic Church put them in. The Greek Orthodox put them in. The Coptic Christians, like you said, 
uh, admitted those. Yeah. But well, there was a big fight over yeah. the same way there was a big fight over the Gnostic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a, in our own experiences at church, a man named Chuck Pierce was used by the Lord yeah. in several ways for us personally and congregationally, and he's written books that I would never equate with the canon of the Scripture, but I have been known to quote what he said our church would be. So is that approving of everything he said? No, because there's some things I've heard he say, hear him say that I do not agree with. <laughs> when he gives these national prophecies, I get my salt shaker out and start pouring it on it. But if he would call me with a word for me, I would definitely heed it and pay attention to it. So anyway, go ahead. No, I just say there's a lot of good authors out there from anywhere from Max Lodato to yeah. Francis Chan to Cal Ottoman and everything. Yeah. Their books are right on, but there are certain areas that you look at and go. Have, have you heard the phrase, eat the meat and spit out the bones? Yes. You need to do that as a believer. Even here, you may hear something you're not sure about. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater and just reject everything, but look for the truth you can accept and then ask questions about the other, and if it's off, it's off. And, yeah, anyway. That's why this is good, like we're doing here now, yeah. because when we can, we can ask questions, we can talk about it, we can get different opinions, and yeah. we learn more. Somebody quotes from Peter at the appropriate time. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, I have another quote. You can beat me there, speaking of it. Back in the uh, the 12th verse where you were, t you were talking about the trees uh, wither without fruit, twice dead, or are plucked up by the roots. You go back over to Matthew 15, verses 13. Christ is, is telling him, And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Talking about the, the ones that were trying to present themselves as one thing and are, and are not. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Judah heard this before. The second, the second oh. verse of the, the verse fourteen says, "Let them alone; they they be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both of them fall in the ditch." So, if you follow the blind, you deserve to fall in the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> it's our job to be alive. Anybody else before we go to the phone? Uh, yes, the one, I did a search on. On this, so I, I can't, I can't verify that this is accurate. But this is the first time I've ever seen it. Basically, this guy is saying Paul quoted from several Greek writers himself, and he goes on to say, but, but yet no one contends that the apostles' use of these quotes proved that these were everything he said was inspired. Yeah, and he even lists the verses uh, from Acts, First Corinthians, and Titus. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I believe in biblical inspiration, but I believe the guys wrote in their own words with their own thoughts, and so the books were inspired to be written, all right? But every single line, you've got to study to see if God is saying this. Yeah. Because in Job, you've got the devil talking. You know, I knew a guy that preached on healing, and somebody disagreed with him because the Bible says, skin for skin, what will a man give for his skin? I guess it's kind of selfish to want to be healed because the Bible says, skin for skin, what will a man give for his skin? Well, the guy looked it up, and Satan said that. The Bible said it, but actually Satan said it. So those words were inspired to be written, but the words themselves are not God's words. 
that make sense? Yeah. So it's the message of the Bible. That's that's why we, we need to study to show ourselves approved. Yeah. There's even a couple of places in Scripture. For, I think First Corinthians 7 is one where Paul says, this is not from the Lord, this is my thoughts yeah. on this particular matter, which Paul was putting out there going, I might be writing inspired in these others, but this is my thought behind it, yes. not, not God. Yes. I want to I want, I want to be careful. That. Yeah. So sometimes we take, you know, Paul could even, even Paul could be wrong in that. Yeah. And although a lot of people wouldn't want to say, but he'd say that, but it's true. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Anybody else? Hello? Well, I, have, I have one thing, Pastor Allen. All right. In, in Numbers 22, when... I think the era of Balaam is actually when when the princes of Moab are sent to approach Balaam. Balaam is already established as a as a prophet who, when he speaks a blessing, people are blessed, and if he speaks a curse, people are cursed. And so the Lord is with Balaam, and uh, the princes of Moab come to Balaam and say, "Hey, um, we want you to come and curse Israel." and he says, just a second, I want to talk to the Lord about it. And the Lord tells him not to go. And so he goes yeah. back and he tells the guys, hey, I, the Lord says, I can't go. And uh, instead of just listening to that word that the Lord gave him, he was approached a second time. And the Lord says, "What are, you know, well, you know, free will, whatever you want to do. But I'm telling you, you're not going to curse Israel. And uh <laughs> And the Lord's anger only burned against him when he went ahead and went. Yeah. See, wow. So that was Balaam's error. Yeah. He had free will, and 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 the Lord was upset because he was a mighty man, but he went anyway. And then and then the donkey spoke to him, and he went anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> right. So anyway. Interesting passage through there. Interesting story. Yep. That's great. Anybody else? <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, we're we're going to go uh, close the recording down into prayer. So um, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, any prayer requests? Just text me, bro. Okay. Thanks.